2: Nathan, my friend, have you ever owned a car that you regretted buying? Something that just wasn't
3: very satisfying? Often. Often? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Quite a few. Fortunately, not right now. I'm doing okay, but uh, there have been so many times I've owned a vehicle where I just kept thinking this is buyer's remorse. I hate it, I need to get rid of it. Yeah, and I've had plenty of those too, and I'm uh, a little bit younger than you. Just a hair. But in today's
2: podcast, we've got a couple of really fun topics, starting out with a Consumer Report survey that found the 10 least satisfying cars and SUVs. And the number one car, um, the satisfaction is so low on it that I think you're gonna be pretty surprised. We're also gonna talk about some of the cool new cars and maybe less cool cars that came out of CES this year. Um, And then we've got a fun bonus Thing at the end of this podcast, which you're definitely gonna to want to stick around for um, surrounding the Enios Grenadier. So, Nathan, let's talk about Consumer Report. So it's this big organization with paid members. They have all these member surveys, and they recently came out with this study, um, and this is from their website, Consumer Reports analyzed data from our latest member survey to measure the current state of vehicle owner satisfaction combined with consumer reports ratings on testing and reliability our owner satisfaction ratings give car buyers valuable guidance when they're shopping for a vehicle and we got 10 cars that folks aren't very happy with starting with number 10 nathan what are we looking at
3: you're talking about that nissan huh yeah we're talking about a nissan oh boy this is one of their volume sellers which is what's in my mind kind of painful but this is the nissan uh ultima 48 percent um would buy again that's uh not great at all yeah that, that's, that's really horrible considering that this is their most popular car
2: right when you look at like their sedan body shape yes. altima is a really big seller um yeah 40 so less than half of people according to the survey that bought their cars would buy it again um now look nissan is going to come up a couple times on this list there's no way around it, but um, here's the deal with with
3: with Nisa. Right? Is mm. they're they're slowly turning the ship around, slowly turning the ship around. Um, I, they're not as disastrous as say Stellantis in my mind. Oh wow, Nathan. <laughs> but um, I, I'm being honest. But wow. um, they they are at least showing signs that they are they they have intentions to go a different route. A lot of that is electrification. I know a lot of you guys are against that, but regardless, that is one of the directions that Nissan is going. And some of their newest offerings have been pretty decent. Um, Sales have not been great for a lot of their products. uh, That's including their pickup trucks. Um, And in general, I think that Nissan is in uh, in a little bit of trouble. Showing that the Nissan Altima is not exactly loved by people. mm, one final thing before we continue, every single car on this list, we've driven a version of it, so yes. we are talking from a little bit of experience. So
2: here's the thing, right, so Carlos Ghosn, who is probably best known for being smuggled out of Japan in a cello case, <laughs> um, <laughs> look, he, he 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 basically leveraged um, um, the company, and, and he... he he prioritized short-term profits at the expense of innovation and long-term success of Nissan. Yep. So he was a ruthless cost-cutter, and, you know, he did save the brand 20-some years ago, right? But it, when, when, in recent years, he, he came out with a series of products that were acceptable, but they weren't the highest quality, they weren't very innovative, and they were built to a price point.
3: Indeed. In fact, at one point... Nissan was a very close competitor to both Toyota and Honda in terms of quality, in terms of uh, the the vehicles they actually had on offer, performance, they were very close and in some cases they even exceeded some of their competitors in terms of capability. Then cost cutting came along and a lot of these vehicles suffered from a variety of different things, not the least of which was the JATCO continuously variable transmission, especially the early generations, which were horrendous and many buyback vehicles, many warranty issues, class action lawsuits, a whole series of issues based on that. But they basically took what money they had and said, no, 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 we're going all in on this CVT thing. And for a while, pretty much everything that wasn't a pickup truck or sports car had a continuously variable transmission. Now they've turned the corner on that. They're much more reliable now. They are better transmissions, but not necessarily the best. And In addition, they've also changed some of their vehicles and improved them, in some cases, by removing that transmission. Yeah, and look,
2: so Carl's going out of the company, and we've really seen the ship starting to ride itself. So let's give Mm -hmm. some examples, right? So we've got um, vehicles like the new Rogue, Right, huge steps up over the previous generation. I agree 100%. It's one of the better vehicles in this class. The new Pathfinder, right? They
3: Great. The, yeah, the previous Pathfinder was just not good. It really had... It was a station wagon with, with a powertrain that just didn't really work for people, and in addition it wasn't the best in class in any way, shape, or form. It wasn't even that competitive other than decent interior space. Although we do have some viewers. We're going to get some comments, because Believe it or
2: not, as much as maybe we don't like the third, the fourth-gen Pathfinder looking back at it, um, there's there's a lot of folks that have good memories with them, but the current one, right, eight-speed automatic transmission. is it a nine-speed? Uh, I think it's an eight. Um, V6 engine made an eight-speed automatic transmission. Oh. Um, in the front-wheel drive, is
3: all-wheel drive a nine? I could have sworn it was a nine, but um, um, it is an actual automatic transmission. Oh, you're right.
2: No, the article I'm reading, nine-speed
3: automatic. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Uh, so the nine-speed automatic transmission that they brought in is, I think it might be ZF, um, huge improvement, much more drivable, better off-road. Way better. Uh, and then they went from that, and then they made the vehicle a little bit more off-roady on top of that with the Rock Creek Edition, which we've had several times. And everybody here agrees, the best Pathfinder over the past couple generations, at least. Not a truck yet, not quite as off-roady as the earlier ones, but still... A great improvement, and I think a pretty damn decent vehicle,
2: yeah, right, and then of course we saw like the the new Z, which was vastly improved over the old Z, right, so Nissan's been turning around, but there's there's certainly like cars that carry over from that era where there's a lot of cost cutting, you know not not a lot of crazy, impressive engineering, and the the ultima
3: I think um, is falls in that category agreed, but some of the best seats in the business. They have that excellent s- seats. That zero gravity thing. I drank the Kool-Aid, and uh, it's just a type of foam they use, really. And I think it's really comfortable, especially for my oversized American bottom. Um, I find that Nissan seats in almost all their cars are decent, but the Altima, if you get, I think you have to get above the, the base model to get those seats. Excellent seats. So, uh, and not a bad interior. I actually think it's a decent car. Except the drivetrain could use some love. Anyway, well, should we should probably move on to the next one, huh?
2: Yeah, we'll talk about this engine again a little later on, but yeah. the variable compression turbo was a cool piece of technology. Sure. Um, so next up on the list, this is coming in at 47% would buy this
3: vehicle again. It's Volkswagen. Um, it's the Jetta. Yes, and I think that just like you were talking about cost-cutting, Volkswagen has really terrible taste when it comes to which cars they want to cut money on. The older Jettas, I thought, were great in respect to their performance capability, uh, flexibility in platforms and everything else. They were just really interesting cars. And then progressively, as they got newer and newer, going up to this generation, yes, there were, are some fast ones which are fun, but the quality isn't great. Mm. And it really does feel like you're buying something that, frankly, you could get a better version of that through somebody else. I will say, in the Jettas kind of defense, right?
2: It's very tough to find a car nowadays in the low $20,000 range. Jetta starts at under 22K, yeah. which is good, right? So, so there is some, um, there is some value there. And I do have to say, like, I've driven some of the more current Jetta
3: GLIs. Yes. And they're really good. Yes. The GLIs are. And they even had that sport one, which uh, you can get a manual transmission. You can still get a manual transmission in a small sedan. And that is one of the few you can actually do that in, which is great. But I think you'll agree with me saying that the interior quality has suffered quite a bit. They actually are going back to buttons on the steering wheel. Thank goodness. uh, Instead of those little panels that frankly aren't great. so I think they're making some improvements and turning the corner but I do feel that in the old days Volkswagen quality was outstanding and some of the best in class and now it's just kind of floundering. I went on the launch of the um the
2: the the current GTI mm-hmm. which is the Mark 8 and on the launch they had the Mark 8 GTI, the Mark 8 Golf R and then the uh, the Jetta, which they had done some minor tweaks to. And getting in the Jetta and just using buttons instead of that <laughs> Volkswagen infotainment system was so refreshing. You know, it starts at like 28 grand for the GLI, so that's a good car. But according to the survey, folks aren't super happy with, with the standard Jetta. Yeah. So now a car, Nathan, I've never driven. I think you've spent some time
3: in this. Not only that, but one of my closest friends actually owns one of these. So the, He's not a car person. The Kia Forte, 47% would buy again. So, the Kia Forte is a very simple vehicle and it replaces the Kia Accent or Kia Accent, it replaces the Hyundai Accent as one of the lower ones. That one and then the uh, Hyundai uh, Venue. Uh, those are like the least expensive cars that are Hyundai Kia. Uh, the Forte is not a bad vehicle in terms of overall build quality. It's decent, um, not fast, not at all. Mm. Um, there's really, it's an excellent rental car. <laughs> um, that's about as good as it but um, the, the Forte at one point they even made some sporty ones they had a two-door Forte for a little while which was awesome I remember and that, that was a lot of, it was cool. a fun little car but Kia fell out of love with the Forte a while ago and was is building this one basically to fill up rental fleets sure and have an entry-level vehicle and that's exactly what this is um, I would imagine that this will go by way of the Dodo in the near future but for now they still manage to sell quite a few of them, and it is their uh, value leader. With that all being said, terribly underpowered car, terribly underpowered. With the
2: exception, I've heard of the Forte GT, 201 horsepower, yes. turbo engine, multi-link suspension, dual exhaust, manual transmission still available. So uh, that is an attractive um, vehicle to yeah, me. Yeah, but that's not the volume seller. That's not, not the close. volume seller. No. no, no, you're right about yeah. that, right? Like if you get an LX, it's going to be pretty dreary. Ew. It's cheap under 20k starting but it's uh it's not going to be much of a enthusiast option
3: yeah it's funny i actually rented one of those in florida where we have a a, a angry fan who probably owns one of these as well and the reason why he's angry (laughs) is because even in florida which is pretty much sea level it would not get out of its own way uh yeah but it's it's an okay car but it really should just have like a plain wrapped label on the side of it that says car well i want to talk about something which i think is so funny so um there's
2: this guy that that nathan's had some interactions with um who is like the biggest chrysler 200 fan oh i forgot about that guy yeah. Remember
3: this guy oh man he was ticked yeah he was a chrysler 200 fan. well he owned one and we did uh, our early video uh roman and i went out to the introduction of the car we went back east and drove it around, and I liked the um, the V6 version. It, was, it had really good power, but Roman and I are like, the backseat is the worst one ever made. Not only did we feel that way, but the actual um, president or the head CEO of um, uh, FCA at the time said that the backseat was the worst he's ever seen, and he regretted it. This is one of the issues with it. Also, quality wasn't great. Uh, reliability was poor. And so we said these things. And, boy, oh, boy, this guy in every other broadcast for a while was just like, but you never said that about the Chrysler 200. and like, Bro, it's not great. Well, and what you got to understand, like, when that car was
2: new, it, it offered some pretty cool... Um, technology. So, all wheel drive too All wheel drive, yeah. You, and like insane power for that class with that, the, the V6 engine. I think it had that nine speed, which was kind of ahead of its time mm-hmm. when it launched. But looking back at it, as the car aged especially and people started having some issues with them, and then we really got to see its true colors come out, then yeah, we changed their tune a little bit on the Chrysler 200. And looking back, I think it was a fast car in a straight line. All wheel drive was cool. Yeah. 200S was kind of funnish, um, but
3: it was not, not a great, well, there's a good reason for Chrysler dropping it from their lineup. It was better than the Sebring. It was better than the Sebring, but that's not really saying much, is it? I mean, that's the, yeah. Uh, you know, so just certain, you know, chlamydia is a little bit better than, you know, some horrible, deathly disease, perhaps. But, um, you you In general, uh, that was another vehicle that was very good for rental car fleets, but really not good for certain consumers. And certain people fall in love with their vehicle and want to be proved proven right about what they bought. And so if we go against that grain, then they're going to fight us. And I totally get that. Uh, I would fight you guys based on, you know, musical choices, which some of you have terrible musical choices. You listen to what Roman listens to. Well, yeah, because Barry Manilow... Manilow is... I under- can only handle underrated underrated apparently yeah yeah he rocks um okay so let's go on to the next one which is the mercedes-benz c-class and that's at 46 percent would buy again yeah
2: super interesting to me um now c-class was recently just like completely overhauled yeah um and i'm not quite sure what data these folks are pulling from like is it the previous
3: one is it the new one i think it's the previous
2: one i don't know so the, the new one is really good like i really like driving it um and I don't say that in a Chrysler 200 kind of way. Like it was a genuinely, it's a fun car. It offers a really great driving experience, some great new uh, technology, right? Some some electrification options there. So I, I do like the C class. C There's C-quest. a widow wabbit. Um, <laughs> uh, we're hunting wabbits. No, the C class is uh, is a good car. So yeah. kind of interesting that that's on the list. Now, if you want to see the full data, head over to ConsumerReports.com. You can, you know, if you're a member, you can see the predictive reliability, owner satisfaction, all of that sure. as well. Um now Now, next on the list at 45%, Kia
3: Seltos. Okay. Now, once again, we're back at Kia. um, And, yeah, we have another Kia on this list later. Uh, Now, the Seltos, I'm going to fight for this one. And I think you might agree with me here because you drove the improved version of it. Improved how? Transmission. Yeah. The old dual clutch was not great. Um, I think Hyundai-Kia have had some real problems with setting up their dual clutch transmissions, which they all, usually connect to or always connect to their turbocharged engines. Now the Seltos does have a turbocharged engine. I, is that an option? Do they have like a Yeah, base they one? have a base one in the turbo. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the turbo was a dual clutch, I think it was a seven speed before, and they replaced that with an automatic transmission and whammo bammo, all is forgiven. Way better driving vehicle, much smoother, uh almost everything has improved with it including off-road capability one of the things about the Celtos is it actually has a decent all-wheel drive system uh 50% of the torque can go back to the rear wheels it has this center it's not a locker it's really like a clutch uh, yeah. um but you are able to make 50, 50%, 50% you know, torque going front and rear at slow speeds, all that type of stuff. And now you won't overheat your transmission with this automatic transmission doing the same type of obstacles we've already done before and we've had mixed results. Well, look,
2: I think that the Seltos um, with the dual clutch
3: even if you're never going
2: to take it in the dirt, which is pretty typical for a Saltos owner, even in the city, it was a little herky jerky. Yes. Right? A little hard to maneuver. Uh, just not a super refined experience. And, you know, they've gone now torque converter automatic. Uh, you got the available 195 horsepower uh, turbo engine. Um, you know, just under 200 horsepower. So uh, I, I would agree with you, Nathan. I think from the Seltos as I've driven, even the older ones, they're, they're, they're pretty good. I like the packaging. Yeah, they're it's kind a good of little size. box, right? Yeah.
3: All wheel drive. Would you get the Seltos or the Kona? That's a good question. So I think the Seltos has a slightly different seating position that's a little bit higher than the Kona. Um, roof uh, is a little bit on the taller side too. And I would probably move over to that one physically because I'm an old fat man um, but the Kona the new Kona I haven't sat in yet by the way the brand new one yeah it's good um, they did a
2: really good job yeah with that's it.
3: what I hear so yeah. I, I I have to to sample that but at least with the previous generation i'd probably move towards the Seltos. okay so coming up on the next spot on our list 44 percent would buy again it's another nissan nathan mm-hmm yeah this is the nissan kicks now, this is a vehicle both you and i have intimate relationships <laughs> with yes you went to the uh the actual kickoff event here in the states i did drove it you didn't seem to hate it um it's okay and then i had one for over a week when I was in Southern California and doing my family vacation thing so we went to Disneyland, to the beach and all over the place and I put like 300 or 400 miles on the car.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat, picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket, outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify?
3: in a very short amount of time. Um, And so I want to hear your opinion on it because I'm curious. Well, so um, uh,
2: kind of been recently refreshed a little bit, right? Yeah, a little. Um, So one thing I'm noticing on this list, Nathan, the trend is like super, super in in quotation marks, but relative to the car market today, more affordable cars. Exactly. So people seem to be relatively unsatisfied with these more affordable cars. And the Kix S starts at $21,000. $21,000.
3: Which is a pretty good price considering it's only a little bit more than their own, their lower model, which is the um, Versa. Yes. Yeah, the Versa is their entry-level car, and this is just a step above that.
2: Now, from a driving experience, it's pretty dreary. Yeah. Small, naturally aspirated four-cylinder engine, quite slow, um, and CVT, of course, front-wheel drive only. Um, but look, this car kind of, it was one of the early like ultra subcompact crossovers that kicked off like the front wheel drive only thing so like here in the states yeah yeah here in the states so kicks launched um and it was okay i kind of sort of liked it because it offered some pretty good technology for the price agreed then the venue launched um and you don't like the venue very much i just think it's terribly slow i love the venue i think it's a really cool piece of packaging and i always felt like the venue was just a little better than the kicks and
3: then the tracks launched, the new Chevy Trax. Trax absolutely trounces both of those in every conceivable way. Right. And pricing isn't that much different, right. so the tracks absolutely murders them. But here's the thing about that, uh, let's go back to the actual um, Nissan Kicks, and I can tell you a couple things. First of all, uh, the ride height I think is quite good, especially for early drivers. Yeah, uh, I agree. Very easy to maneuver in park, very easy, great first car in that respect. Yep. Um, stupidly slow if you load it with four human beings and their cargo like i did with my family (laughs) it's very um, slow oh my god i was you know prius were like rocketing past me first and second (laughs) gen just making me look like i was a snail uh it's almost dangerous how slow cars like that can be um and you're murdering the engine just to keep up with traffic until you get up to a certain speed right so that's the negative the positive is Decent mileage, yeah. Um, it's okay. Uh, the one I had was the top of the line, which I think is the SV, but I'm not 100 sure. SR. S- okay, and it had the speakers in the seats for the driver. Yeah, that's cool. S- which was cool because I was able to groove, and then my family had to hear the crappier, tinny sound, mm-hmm. but I could hear the good stuff in my, you know, when I was driving. So that was good. But I would agree. I think that the um, the Hyundai probably gives you a little bit more for the money. I would agree. Yeah. But once again. With the Chevy tracks out there, that vehicle is far superior in terms of performance, size. And size, comfort, ride, handling, and I believe it's about as efficient as those, in addition to the fact that you get a lot of tech for the money. So yeah, basically it's a no brainer.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Hyundai starts like a thousand bucks cheaper, right? If you really focus on cost. Yeah. The Nissan is 114 pound feet of torque, so that's where the, that's where some of the. Just.
3: Dreadful, but yeah. what, and, and that's at Cal, in California, by the way, which is close to the level, sea level up right. here. Ooh, so.
2: Yeah. So, look, I think it's not necessarily a bad car front-wheel drive only, but ever since we saw the tracks revealed, it's just it can't compete.
3: Yeah, yeah, it really can.
2: So, next on the list, Nathan, <laughs> we're back to a Kia. Yep. Um, it's, uh, it's a Sorento Hybrid, which I think is an interesting kind of point that they point out. It's a Sorento Hybrid. Forty-two
3: percent would buy again. That's a poor number. Uh, now we've had the, a Sorento Hybrid i believe that is all-wheel drive yes um Mm -hmm. which is in this class a little bit of a rarity like if you look at the ford escape plug-in hybrid Mm -hmm. oh this is just the regular hybrid too never mind it's a standard hybrid yeah Yeah. standard hybrid um so yeah it is definitely all-wheel drive but uh, in addition there are other competitors out there um i'd say the one thing about the sorento hybrid that puts it in a decent category is the fact that it's not that expensive to walk into and it's competitive with the Honda CRV, uh, hybrid. But I think that maybe the CRV has slightly better packaging and definitely better reliability. Well, look, so they just put a new kind of
2: nose on, on the Sorrento. Yeah. They just kind of up, upgraded a little bit. So I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what some of the, the changes are in the, in the, the new model year.
3: Um, Nothing announced with powertrain.
2: Yeah, I think this might be perhaps a little bigger than the CRV because uh, you do get the third row right option which is cool so you, you can carry some more it's people but it's very small it's very small right if you want to haul more like a pilot is going to do
3: do that yeah, a lot better that's closer in size to the Mitsubishi um, uh, Outlander PHEV in terms of its third row
2: Well, what I don't understand about the rental ride right, is you got the Telluride and now the EV9 yep um yeah, it's kind of a weird size, a Sorrento. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I understand why it's on the list, perhaps. Um, I mean, it's interesting,
3: Nathan, that there's no Hondas or Toyotas on this list. What do you think of that? Uh, well, that, that says a lot in terms of, you know, customer satisfaction. Perhaps there's a good reason for that. But I don't see any Fords on this list or Chevrolets or dodge yeah <laughs> you know oh, yeah I, mean, I know it's a good point it's actually i don't think i see any american automobiles on this nope, list. no chevys no Fords, mm, nothing so and also no minis <laughs> no minis no fiats no bmw's
2: by the way i just read something interesting did you know that fiat sold less than 700 cars in
3: 2023 mm-hmm. well look at what they had to sell the, they, the fiat, have they one had car. the 500x and that's it thank god they got rid of the 500l so the 500x uh not uh not brilliant it's oh, okay here we go uh. 605 i mean well, how do you make so you know a dealer network with <laughs> 605 vehicles sold i think that what they've done just like everything else so real quick stellantis uh with all of their failing when they took over or when they combined uh they gave a chunky budget to dodge chrysler fiat Alfa Romeo, Lancia, and a few other things that are under their umbrella that are losing with sales. And they basically said you have X amount of time to make a profit. If you do not, you're done. And I believe that was a five-year thing that they put them on. Uh, we have a story of that on, uh, at TFL Car. And because of that, that's allowed Fiat to survive here in the States. They've had one car. Now, in the near future, they're about to have Two cars because they're about to get the 500e, which I'm hearing decent things about. Right, it's supposed to be a pretty fun car to drive. Competitive, but, dude. Something's got to change. Yeah. I mean, less than two cars sold on average a day. <laughs> it's
2: just not gonna. Yeah, it's they, not they, gonna be sustainable. They
3: pop a uh, you know a cork from the champagne every time they sell one car. Ah, uh, jeez. You, know, you imagine that? But you know, they, it, they have never had a good presence in the united states i think that the original 500 and the 500 abart were their best offerings and they were cool right they were cool that was, cool. A, big, that was uh, a big push actually their most reliable car was the regular 500 not even the turbo it's the regular 500 mm. but it was small and not very useful for people anyway uh not on this list though not on this list on Why? This list? because there's just not enough of them to count <laughs> that must be the reason why Now, uh or people love them maybe people love their maybe their people X's. love them
2: so next on the list nathan back to nissan yeah um it's a Sentra, 39% would buy a Nissan Sentra again. There used to be a time when the N- Nissan Sentra
3: really was the proper competition against the Toyota Corolla. Like, remember like when they had the SER? Oh yeah, the original, the original the mm-hmm. squared off SER. That thing was so cool and yeah, by today's standards it's not very fast, but they handled great and they were just great little cars and you only spent like $1,000 over what you would spend on a regular one to have a really good handling fun car. I remember them dearly, and then progressively they just were washed out. Now Nissan Sentras, there are a couple different versions of them out out there. I think they still sell the Nismo. Um, oh, and, I don't know about that. Yeah, it, they may, and it's. It, it, the good news is that the Sentra is a decent riding car. It handles quite well. It I does, think. yeah. Um, and it has good back seat room. And right. That's about it. There's really not a lot to to tickle your fancy and make you fall in love with it. it doesn't have what I would call a good personality.
2: It's you know so, what I mean? It's got pretty good standard safety tech, yeah. like safety shield three sixty. Which is standard throughout every Nissan product, by the yeah, way. Yeah, right. Um twenty thousand six thirty starting, so standard safety shield, remote keyless entry, apple carPlay, right. So yeah, I mean there's some like good tech in it. I agree that it is probably a better riding car than the Corolla. Yep, I would agree. I, I think it's it's a little bit more comfy, um, but then, like, look, you, you look at what Toyota is offering with, with Corolla, or maybe even Honda with the Civic, right? So, like, Corolla now you can get in front wheel drive, front wheel drive hybrid, all wheel drive hybrid, and the Nissan Sentry you get one engine choice, CVT transmission, front wheel drive only,
3: so they don't have some of the, the same value-added features that Toyota has. And I think that those two, and then of course the Civic, I think the Civic is far superior than the uh, Sentra. In fact, I would be curious and it would be great if they did a follow-up to this to see where the Conquest sales are going with some of these cars. Yeah, I agree. What are they going to buy in lieu of this car? I would be curious. So next up on my list, Nathan... This is. You dislike this one
2: thoroughly. I, I, to I, be fair, there are very few cars that I actively dislike. So we get this question a lot. Like, you know, what are what's like a bad car you can buy today? Um, and there really isn't a bad... Like, in the 80s, a Chavette was a pretty bad car. Sure. You know, or a Citation. Right? There were, like, genuinely bad cars that had major engineering flaws, reliability flaws. Today, like, any car is going to last you over the period of its warranty. It's going to be pretty safe. It's going to be pretty fuel efficient. But this is one of my least favorite cars on sale, and I'll explain why. So it's the Volkswagen Taos. T-A-O-S. It's the small volkswagen crossover yes named after a small town in new mexico now um here's why i dislike the towel so the one we tested had um, the turbo engine yeah. and the dual clutch transmission yeah. and i have never felt a powertrain that was in perpetual battle with itself so very herky-jerky you would get like a slip from the dual clutch transmission when you would start off from a stop so you get a little jerk and then you would hit the accelerator and nothing would happen because they wouldn't get power from that turbo and then the turbo would hit and you go shooting back in the seat so it was one of the few cars that i've genuinely had a hard time driving smoothly it's a difficult car in my experience and granted maybe this one has something wrong with it but the seven speed dsg combined with the turbo was such a poor
3: combo they need to get rid of the dsg and put in a regular Automatic transmission. Like and what Kia did. Exactly. Yep. Now, I drove that car at its launch event. I thought it handled decent for, sure. for a small car. And I like the fact that it had turbo power. But even with the, the roads that, you know, when they do these press events, they take you on roads that they know will favor the vehicle. And so I was on these great roads going through Malibu and everything else, and everything was great and hunky dory. Then I hit traffic. And in the <laughs> traffic, it was just. It was just such an unhappy car. And I did say that on my review, but it was it's utilitarian, it's relatively affordable, it's relatively economical. So (laughs) Volkswagen fans might like that, but for the most part, not one of their best offerings. But you like we say turbo power. It's 158 horsepower. I know, it's not a lot.
2: It's not a lot of power. I mean the Celtos we were just talking about has available 195, right? And they're about the same size. Yeah, and they're about the same size. So it's just it's really not a winner for me. Um especially like Because this car kind of spiritually replaced the Golf in the U.S. Yeah. You know, the standard, not the GTI, like the standard Golf. Um, And the Mark 7 Golf, the standard one, was such an engaging, high-quality car. It was such a nice thing to experience and to live with. And the Taos just didn't live up to that. I would agree with you there, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say, Nathan, to your point, right, like, four-motion all-wheel drive is pretty good. Yep. Um, You've got some pretty decent technology. You got some okay technology in it, um, you know, pretty decent warranty. So look, there's not, it's not all bad. I like some of the colors, I'll,
3: I'll say that but it's just not a, not, not a winner in my book. I wouldn't even call it a proper ski vehicle, and that's because of that transmission. I do not like something that lurches, and then suddenly you're getting the, all the power from the turbo, because that actually makes it difficult in slippery conditions. So that needs to be addressed, in addition to the fact that that transmission probably should be replaced. All right, Nason, the number one,
2: the least satisfying car role play, role play. Role play. Role play, please. <laughs>
3: Well, at least at least it's not an enema that you're talking about. Oh I man, guess.
2: Nathan, how was
3: your enema? Oh, you're an enigma. That's I was what an it an was. Enigma, yeah. That's suppository, right. apparently. Um, tell me, I already talked about that last broadcast. So, <laughs> the drum roll, the Infinity QX fifty. Only twenty five percent would buy again, and I say for damn good reason. Well, okay, what's the reason, Nathan? Powertrain, baby. Such an unusual, you know, we were just talking about the Volkswagen, how the turbocharged engine and the transmission just do not pair up well. This is another excellent example of a vehicle that I think looks fantastic. It's a very pretty vehicle. The interior is pretty as well. I think it's actually rather striking, but it has a turbocharged high-tech turbocharged four-cylinder engine, which is both economical and powerful. It is a marvel that nissan spent billions on developing but then they paired it to a continuously variable transmission yes i know some of you guys like they're not all that bad well guess what when you have a luxury vehicle like this that looks like it's a performer and it's paired to that transmission it sucks out all the joy from that powertrain and it makes it loud and uncomfortable this is a vehicle that i truly believe infinity botched they need to get rid of that transmission. They got a nine-speed, throw it in there. Right. Find a replacement because otherwise, it's a great car. Look, here's the thing. I think it's an attractive car. Yeah. Um, but uh, you talk about that
2: the turbo, right? The VC turbo, very variable compression, like really good technology in this vehicle. But it's in such a competitive class, like that small premium crossover.
3: You've got like Mercedes GLC, BMW X3, Genesis G70. Genesis, thank you. Right. Which which outp- and most of these vehicles do output However, I maintain that if you actually got rid of that transmission and put something else there, the cool thing about having, you know, variable compression is that you can be at high compression or low compression. It actually can change. And that means that you can be pumping through a lot of horsepower when you need it, or you can actually have it blowing at a much more efficient rate and you no longer have to use that much gas in order to make it go forward. Hence, it it actually gets really decent mileage. Right but it needs a different transmission or they need to seriously update that CVT. In addition to the fact that the exhaust zone on the thing might be the worst in class. It sounds like it's pretty an drony. old yeah. mercury thing that you shoved in the water and just heard it go, bah, 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 bah. it is <laughs> so terrible to hear. And I'm sorry because I hate to kick Infiniti while they're down because their sales are not particularly great, but this QX50 and its brother, the 55, poor powertrain, beautiful to look at.
2: Yeah, great design. Yeah. Um, the seats are really cool. Like you can get like this quilted stitched
3: leather. Yes, it looks great. Um, it's actually taken a page out of Genesis, which is taken in a page out of higher-end European vehicles. Yeah, and then the other thing which I'm going to have to ding it on is like it's got this dual
2: screen thing. Oh yeah, some people don't like it's that. Just not needed. It's just not needed and it's looking very like 2012 now. Yeah, it's a bit dated. I agree with that. So too. look, I agree. I mean, Infinity, Infinity's in kind of a tough spot. Um, I think that the QX50, uh, sorry, QX60 mm. is okay. It's a Pathfinder-based one. Yeah, it's a one. Pathfinder
3: with more power. Well, it's, it's got the same power as the Rock Creek, which has a little bump over the regular Pathfinder. So I think
2: it's a it's a pretty good driving car. Yeah. Um, I've always liked the QX80, which is the Armada. Yeah. Right? And then the QX50 fifty, are the Q fifty, the naming thing is horrible too. But yeah. the Q fifty, the sedan, it's old but it's a really fun car. And but but it's the it's like the volume area there, the fifty and the fifty five, where everybody's competing against the same dollars in less the only reason i would buy that over like a gv70 or the audi offering or even the lexus is it'd have to get a substantial discount on that Infiniti. major
3: major discount and that's the only way they're going to be able to move these things especially when you look at you know how many people are going to come back and buy another one that's not particularly good now one final note on uh, infinity uh, they have announced that they will be moving to all electric platforms in the near future so they maybe are looking at this like okay this is a temporary band-aid and then we're going to switch to electrification and as such this is no longer going to be an issue that might be the what they're thinking they haven't announced anything in that respect but they did say that they were moving to electrification
2: well we would love to hear your input on the topic what are some of the best and the least satisfying cars you have owned in your lifetime but we're moving on folks thank you to consumer reports for putting that you. together um, and we are talking about the consumer electronics show ces happened this uh, week and we had some big news and some rather small news. And we're going to talk about the small news first. I mean small literally because this is one of the cars that really piqued my attention. So a company called Vinfast. Mm-hmm. Nathan's driven them. It's an all-electric brand from Vietnam. That's correct. Um, they showed off a car which... Um, They're thinking about bringing it to the States, nothing official yet. It's called the VF3
3: and what is this little guy? The VF3 is their smallest offering which is being built overseas by the way. It is essentially the size, uh, it's not much bigger than this Fiat that's behind Tommy frankly. It's tiny, it's absolutely tiny. It looks like a small crossover SUV but in reality it is a front drive electric vehicle I believe. Its range is around 120 or 130 miles. They're aiming for 125. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's hard to say whether or not they'll be able to keep that, you know, because that's WLTP uh, measurements, and so I'm not sure if that's going to be the same here. Uh, but it's a very utilitarian little thing. It's a box, basically. I think it's great looking, and I think Americans would love that, and that's what they should have led with, by the way. The VF7 that I tested was not great, Uh, They've made improvements, I hear. And remember, VinFast is breaking ground right now in, I believe, North Carolina with their um, manufacturing um, branch. So they're going to be building VinFast here in the United States, meaning that those cars will be eligible for certain uh, rebates. So I want you to imagine like a Suzuki
2: Jimny, which is this little chunky off-roader abroad, sort of in that same size um, category. Like a samurai. It's like a little square box, yeah, but a little lifted off the ground. But here's the big news. So um, according to Autoblog, apparently Vinfast talked with U.S. dealers about models, and it was suggested
3: the VF3 could be offered for less than $20,000. That's huge news. Now, if they can maintain that, if they can actually bring in a car for, under twenty grand that has over hundred and twenty miles range let's say they can maintain that Um, that would be a great way to bring in people who need an electric vehicle that are in urban areas and need something small easy to charge and easy to pay for and I'm willing to bet that if they do build it here in the States then you also will get certain tax credits. oh man that could really save I mean that could be a huge Will they do it? And that's a good question. However, VinFest does have a new boss, and uh, apparently things are changing. I'm hoping so because, once again, their initial offering here in the States, the VF7, was not a good first impression. I think, um, was it the 8 you drove? VF8? VF seven or VF eight. I BF8. think it's VF eight. Sorry, yeah. did I no. say VF seven? Yeah, VF seven. Sorry, guys. But
2: so here's the thing, right? So the VF eight, which is on sale now, they've sold a they've sold a good number of them. Um, it's 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 an electric crossover that had some quality issues that Nathan experienced. Yes. But the biggest issue is it just doesn't offer a competitive advantage over like a Model Y or a Blazer EV. Not for the price. Not for the price. But this is why I'm excited about this little teeny box, this VF3, is because it's something new and fresh to the marketplace that no other company's
3: really targeting. Nobody's, I mean, if you're looking at Fiat or, or Mini, those are the two, I think, least expensive uh, EVs that you'll be able to buy in the U.S. and. A, neither of those offer an um, incentive because of the batteries, they're not you know, made here in the United States. Uh, I believe that VinFast did say when I tested the VF8, sorry guys, um, that they would be building and sourcing a lot of their materials right here from the states that should include North American source batteries or whatever qualifies in that uh, list, but the point is, is that an inexpensive vehicle like that that's fun to look at that's cute and utilitarian that little boxy shape is very utilitarian Uh, that could be a huge seller and it could get people into the brand i highly recommend that they consider building something like that couldn't agree more nathan yep so
2: that was really exciting for me uh volkswagen also dropped some news we got a new 2025 golf gti uh it's got some new technology 15 inch screen and they
3: dropped the manual transmission Boo. Boo! I agree. Boo! Yeah, Yeah, we knew that was coming, though. Actually, I don't know if that's on all TFL anymore, but it's definitely on TFL Car. Uh, Zach wrote about that, and it's it's a shame. I think there's a lot of people out there who still like to ship, but the bottom line is that it's around 4% uh the people out there buy manual transmission cars yeah it's pretty tiny yeah so we also saw some new um
2: concepts from companies like honda oh, yeah. and kia uh, honda debuted a new logo which is kind of a retro throwback to what they used to do um these vehicles are so out there there's
3: not a ton to really get excited about because well, i th-
2: you there, were, there is one
3: thing what what, what do you got Honda is, first of all, Honda has officially basically said, we're not using the LTm platform after we're done with this prologue, which, by the way, we're going to be driving in the very near future. What they basically did say was, we are doing our own thing. And so this is a taste of what they have in mind with their own EV architecture. All right, so Nathan,
2: we had the package delivered. So um, keep going with the, what, what you thought was cool with Honda.
3: Yeah, so... They are introducing their own platform, their own EV architecture, and I think a lot of us out here are, are, are kind of cheering that. Look, Nothing against General Motors, but the fact is is that this is Honda. Honda is one of the most technologically advanced companies in the world. They build jets for crying out loud and robots. Yeah. Why the hell don't they have their own EV architecture that they can use here in the United States? Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute, that Honda E... Uh, I think that's what it was called, failed in, in Europe. It didn't really fail, I just didn't sell it was, a lot well, of them. Well, it was too
2: expensive and it, it was only too went like pricey. 100 miles. Yeah, yeah, it
3: didn't have the range. But packaging, people raved about, and performance handling at least, people said it was quite good. So I think for first step, they did pretty well. Most importantly though, the stuff that they're showing at CES looks really cool. Very Blade Runner-like, yeah. which I dig. Uh, Blade Runner was a movie with Harrison Ford. Yeah, right. yeah, okay. I got it, oh, I got so it. So anyway, um, <laughs> this is something that I think we can really look forward to. This is something that i think will be competitive because i know that honda doesn't do half steps if they're announcing that they're going to be doing an electric vehicle with their own architecture and they're showing these things to tease us i think that's something to look forward to so we also had some news from kia with the uh, pv line of vehicles
2: these kind of um really square utilitarian vans kind of the hauler machines
3: very futuristic yes but there's a good point to this okay see they also announced in the past they would be building a small electric or an electric pickup truck which we assume is going to be small mm. maybe the one of those platforms may underpin it right and it's kind of like a cab
2: over design similar to what like canoe has been showing off yeah. so um, we got some stuff on that and then honda also showed off another vehicle that they that they've, they've shown in the past but it's looking more production ready it's a combination of honda and sony's called the athila yeah which is a terrible name. It's a um, terrible name, but I think it's a cool-looking vehicle. It is a cool-looking vehicle. It's got like
3: a little like LCD screen on the nose that can like play images and stuff. So It's, it's, it's definitely trippy. I don't think you're going to see that very often. Imagine people driving along, and all of a sudden you're staring at another car as you're passing it by because the LCD screen's doing something. <laughs> not the best idea. Actually, in China, they have a couple vehicles that will have uh, displays, LCD displays that'll change oh, yeah? on the back of the vehicle. Interesting. But uh, I think that that might not be something that'll uh, catch on here. But there's more with uh, Honda Kia, Hyundai Kia. Sorry. What you got? Um, so Hyundai also debuted a vehicle which is uh, co-built by Mobius, which will allow you to turn all four wheels. Oh yes. 180 degrees up to 180 degrees, so you can slide the car right into a parking spot. Showing, I think, one of the other benefits of having uh, an electrification uh, powertrain, uh, electrified powertrain. Sorry. Um, because it'd be really hard to do that with a gas vehicle, having an axle and all that other stuff, but in a vehicle like this, where you can separate things and have... Then electrically connected, so to speak. It is easier to do that. As such, imagine being able to go to a parking spot that was really tight and sliding right in and having the car slide itself right out.
2: Yeah, it's not the first time we've seen stuff no, like no, this, but it, it is cool. Yeah, it's called the Hyundai Mobion Concept. And yeah, it kind of debuts this new technology of being able to turn all four wheels individually to be um, perpendicular to where they typically are. Uh, kind of a fun idea, Nathan. Um, whether they've been not, playing with this for a
3: while. A long though. time. Yeah. Do you think
2: we'll ever realistically see I something think like so. this? I
3: think this is going to be. Look, they've been surprising us in the past with vehicles we did not expect them to build. And I think that this might be tech. And remember, they got together with what it, Boston Electronics and a bunch of other companies in the past with robotics and all these other things. They're serious about staying ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, electrification and utilizing it in different ways, and then
2: a little bit of additional news, Nathan and um, I know it 's not the truck podcast, but it does fit in the CES that same company we were mentioning VinFast, earlier revealed a trunk a
3: trunk, a truck concept called the vinfast Wild Pickup you know I believe that the wild pickup is based on the platform that 's used with the v f nine which is about to come out the v f nine is their competitor to the large Kia. What is that? EV9. Yeah, EV9. Uh, So that big uh, uh, VinFast three-row SUV platform, I believe, underpins this as well. Now, one thing I heard from a little bird is that VinFast is quite serious about this thing based on how people react because they are looking at competing in what will be eventually a market for electric pickup trucks.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, it's kind of a futuristic looking design, a little Blade Runner with the wheels, but it doesn't look that crazy from a production standpoint. It's got a mid-gate that drops down, really cool interior, some organic finishes. Um, Look, I, as much heck as VinFast has gotten by U.S. press, and a lot of it deservedly so, I still have a lot of respect that they were able to bring a car to the market. I mean, the number of time, hours, and millions of dollars it takes to get a car certified for sale in the U.S. is so astronomical that, you know, 99% of companies fail
3: well before they even build a prototype. I I agree 100%. But VinFast did
2: it. Yes, they did.
3: And then if you look at all those companies where you're seeing a lot of vaporware, where, you know, Especially in Silicon Valley, are those areas where people are like, "Oh yes, we're going to introduce this really cool Alpha Wolf, pup, you know, pickup truck. It's going to come. I know, anytime I know. now." And they look really cool, but they don't actually build them. They're just trying to, you know, accumulate money. Um, I don't think that uh, a company like VinFast deserves the scorn of everybody for trying to build a vehicle for our market. And the good news is is that they're already looking at upgrading and updating their vehicles to make them more competitive. What they need to do, I think, is they need to undercut everybody in terms of pricing. That's the only way you're gonna get people into the door Mm -hmm. because there's no reason why I would want a VF8 over a Mustang Mach-E. There's just no reason. Yet, if they priced a couple thousand dollars underneath that equivalent Mustang Mach-E, then I would consider it, you know, as a consumer.
2: Yeah. So, folks, we'd love to hear your input on some other cool stuff going on at CES. We didn't make it this year because there just wasn't enough concrete news, we thought, from the automotive world. Yeah, it's actually kind of a shame. I really wish we did go. But we'll, go, we'll try to go next year. We'll make it next year. Yeah, we got a lot going on around the offices. Of these parts. Um, and, Nathan, before we wrap up here, I do want to toss to a clip um, that I recently shot. So, um, I, we have a Land Rover Defender on loan right now. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to compare the Defender to... A vehicle that has been highly anticipated it's the Ineos Grenadier. Now this is a new company from the UK that just started selling cars last year here in the US and it's an old-school body on frame
3: solid axle vehicle that has its design roots in the original Defender. Yeah th- I, I like to think of it as a mixture of the old Defender and a mixture of the old uh, Isuzu Trooper too. Trooper two, uh, yeah, a specific piece of trivia. Well, that is. Any, any trooper really. <laughs> well, the back doors, the way the back doors are designed, right. and, and some of the boxy design. But it, it's uh, BMW powertrain, uh, solid axles, uh, very capable off road. We've already seen that. We've actually had an opportunity to see these vehicles do certain things. Right. But now we're one of the few who's been able to get what is the modern interpretation of that vehicle, and then this one, which is really an anachronistic vehicle, and compete with them, right? Yeah, so um, I had him side by side, and I shot this video
2: with the owner. He was the first delivery here in Colorado, so he's had it longer than just about anybody um, in the state, at least, right? So uh, I wanted to get his experience of what it was like to buy and own it and live with it. So it was my first drive on road in the Grenadier now keep in mind, um, uh, this is actually, clips of this were used in a car video that should be coming up slash have gone up, but it was a long, interesting kind of rant that we did and I thought it'd be worth just running the whole thing. So um, we're gonna put that clip in here now and you can learn a little bit about the Grenadier and what it's like in my first drive. All right, folks, so I'm here with Mark Mark. Thanks for having me come no by. Problem. I really appreciate it and um, this is the first Grenadier in Colorado. That's correct, yeah, first really one. Cool. So tell me about your process on buying this vehicle. Um, you know, when did you submit your interest and, and how long has the process been?
4: So when I, uh, when I got home from picking this car or picking up the Grenadier, I went and I just searched my Gmail, I searched Grenadier just to see like when the very first instance of any uh, talk about it or any communication and I originally put in my request for more info from them in september of 2020. wow yeah it's uh it's been a long time and when did you take delivery i took delivery on the saturday after thanksgiving
2: okay so So, you made it under the 2024 kind of
4: start there and before december too so i know a lot of people are saying end of december was when they were hoping for it i got mine in November so. and what did you come out of to, to purchase this vehicle what were you be
2: for so I was in a
4: holdover uh, 2011 FJ cruiser okay yep and it was something that I had bought um, knowing you know it was it was a holdover I just wanted something that was a little more reliable than my Jeep and I wanted something that was uh, obviously capable for Colorado trails and, and off here right
2: can we turn that fan down yep. you might never be perfect Ugh. So, Mark, you've had um, quite a bit of seat time in this. How many miles are you up to? Uh, just under uh,
4: 1,600 on this right now, like 1,550 or so. And before I give some of my impressions, because you live with this car, I what is, what are your driving impressions? What do you think of it on the road? I love it on the road. The, the seating position is so awesome. You sit so high even a full-size truck where you're next to it uh, at a light you're looking it seems like you're looking down at them and the jump down is already you know even getting out people in, in the stock form people have a hard time almost getting into this thing because it's tall it's a tall seating position but I'm also six foot five and I'm tall to begin with so it's nice for me to have the uh, the position, uh, the headspace, you know, the, the room in here, it just feels really nice to drive.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I can tell you right off the bat, right? It's a, it's a pretty different driving experience than for example, like that new Defender. Um, the steering is, is very Wrangler-like. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you got solid axles, so it's a yep. very slow steering box, yep. but it's not scary. You no. know, it's not, not that
4: vague. It's not, not all, that no. wandering. Um, what do you think of the turning circle? I know that's been a big
2: complaint <laughs> for a lot of folks.
4: The turning circle is something that is going to be, uh, interesting uh to get when we get on tighter trails and that kind of stuff um yeah it's 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 pretty bad yeah um however you know it's not the end of the world you gotta maybe do a two-point turn to get into a parking spot if you're you know you know around town um but the one thing i will the one thing that i'm most looking forward to taking this on to see how 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 it is is going to be black bear pass on the switchbacks
2: okay because what what, got you excited about that? well
4: just because of the turning radius i know it's going to (laughs) be it's going to be a big workout i'll make sure to 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 stretch before that yeah make sure
2: you don't do any arm days before that
4: day yeah exactly um so yeah i think that you know the turning radius is definitely something that a lot of people are noticing and it you know there's really no way of hiding it it's it's definitely uh you know It's a big turning radius for sure. It's pretty. It's pretty long.
2: Now, one thing I've noticed right off the bat, which is a little interesting, is the ride's a little firmer than I was kind of expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, I think a lot of that is due to the fact you have coil springs and solid axles, and you Mm -hmm. don't want to have that much body roll. Right. Um, And I think one thing that maybe Grenadier should look into, or Inyo should look into going forward,
4: is like a disconnectable front sway bar. Absolutely. I think that would be a really, really big plus. Yep. And you know, during the whole process of uh, you know of. Them coming out with more details and stuff before the release. There was a lot of these Q and A sessions. You know, send us your questions. You know, what questions do you have for the engineers, and that was actually a question I sent in. Was, is there going to be any sort of a, 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 you know, sway bar disconnect? Just cause I got so used to it with my Jeep. Yeah, right. You know, it's like oh, it's just so nice. And um, you know, unfortunately, not yet. But like I said, the, the aftermarket is just waiting for these. You know, there's there's so many different products that are already coming out. Um, but now that they're starting to be on the road and everything in, in America, and people are be able to get their hands on them, I think the aftermarket is really gonna step up, and they'll they'll definitely be a disconnect, a sway bar disconnect solution of some sort. I'm 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 sure of in the future. So let's talk about quality for a second, mm-hmm. because look someone cross shopping this vehicle might be cross shopping
2: with the defender they might be cross shopping with like a fully loaded wrangler 392 or you know bronco raptor um, or even like a mercedes g on the upper end mm-hmm. um, and this is an unknown brand for yep. everybody in the states um, what has your quality experience been like have you had any issues you want to talk a little bit about that
4: um so as far as like you know internal internally switches you know steering wheel pedals everything all that that's all been fine i haven't really had any issues There's been a few little things, um, you know, one time I turned the key, or I turned the gas, turned the car on, and it told me that my key battery was low. Hmm. And this was two weeks, three weeks after I got it. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. So I turned it off, turned it back on. It was fine. Cleared it. Cleared it. Okay, interesting. You know, little things like a couple times my tire pressure sensors came on, um, you know, and then after a mile or two, they turned back off again. You know, it's just kind of like weird little software things, little software Um, bugs, I'm sure that will get fixed with updates, um, you know, as time progresses. But other than that, like there hasn't been any major, there's no, no major mechanical issues. I haven't had anything fail on me. There's, you know, um, some, uh, you know, with the Safari windows, you know, there's maybe a little bit of wind noise, but I mean, once you hit 80, 85, what isn't, doesn't have wind noise, you know what I mean? Like, what do you expect? So, and especially driving around in a box, um, but, uh. Yeah, other than those few things with the, you know, with the um, the TPMS and the and the key battery kind of thing, it's been it's been fine. One thing I'm, like, initially impressed with
2: is just the complete lack of squeaks and rattles. Yeah. You know, when you you think of a new brand, right, and and some of the troubles that brands like Tesla had had when they first launched in the U.S. with quality. And you compare it to this, I mean, it is like a bank vault in here. It's so quiet. So
4: solid. And just shutting the doors. I mean, we slammed the hood up there. Yes, right. It's just the lo- the best clunk you've ever heard, uh, aside from maybe a G-Wagon, but yeah. pretty close. Aside from maybe a G, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: So let's talk about this engine for a little bit. Now, 3-liter sure. inline-six from BMW, mm-hmm. it's been one of the hottest points from folks online mm-hmm. um, because folks, you know, want to see an LS or something from
4: Toyota. Oh, yeah. What's your take on that? Um, <laughs> BMW is great. I mean, I, I've been a BMW, I've had BMWs in the past. Um, I know the power that they that they can make and i'm sure this thing is is obviously down tuned from any else sure um but there's so much torque there's power off the line coming out of an fj which is just (laughs) anemic yeah i mean some of the trails that we would do is just like you know obviously it was fine it worked um but it's just you know you get into higher elevations too and you're you know with a without a turbo or any forced induction in elevation you're You know you're starting to work those engines pretty good and this thing so far has been great the torque off the line you know i will not say it's fast it's definitely not fast but it's peppy off the line and that's something that until i re-geared my jeep i never had that kind of pep off the line right Um, yeah you know and then you know comparing to you know to a six cylinder in the in the um in the the jeep and the fj just miles more torque and that's one thing that i just love so much it feels so good taking off and it just it's there right away there's not it, there's not the you know turbo lag or anything like that and it's like you said before too the bmw this engine is in everything it's in so many different v- so many of their cars and you know why would you put a non-tried and true oh yeah uh, engine right in the you know to into a brand new like they don't want to have it fail right off the bat you know it's like i'm sure there's plenty of research and development before they chose this specific motor for this thing. Mark, when I'm really um, interested in, and, and I've driven this essentially in, in a lot of applications, but um,
2: there really seems to be, as you mentioned, like a complete lack of, of lag, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and when people think turbos, they probably think of like 1980s turbos, mm-hmm. where you have to wait till 4,000 RPM, which is not what you want on a four-wheel drive. Right. But this engine, at least at slow speeds, feels super responsive, mm-hmm. even at lower RPMs. Yep, That's exactly. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, the other thing I'm noticing too, is the windows are huge. Mm-hmm. So you get really good visibility. Maybe not so much out the back, because you got kind
4: of that pillar in the middle. Yeah, the back is, but you know what, Tell, give me one SUV or one off-roading vehicle with a tire on the back that, you can't that you're going see to see at the back <laughs> just, very well. You know, you yeah. just kind of.
2: That's true. No, no. I'm, I mean, I, I, from a driving standpoint, I, like, like I kind of was expecting the steering is very numb and a little uh-huh. slow, but yep. the the throttle response is excellent. You get a little bit more engine feedback, a little bit more noise from the engine yep. than maybe a BMW because lack sure. of sound doesn't mean exactly. But eight-speed transmission is yeah. also very proven. ZF. Mm-hmm. Yeah now what about the tech so one of the things that's been a hot button issue i talked to adam in a previous video i'd love to get your impression is the adas functionality (laughs) and this speed warning
4: that alerts you every time you go over 30 what's been your impression on that so when i got in my vehicle when i got in this thing the very first day i had it i started coming home from the dealer and i'm like what is all this racket like what is this noise and like i'm trying to figure out you know where it's coming from what like it's just you know the speed limit sign is flashing the lights on the screen like what is this stuff so yeah after digging around through these settings there's this it, what it does is it senses the the speed uh, you know this it reads this the speed limit signs and then puts them on the screen and if you're going over over that speed limit then it it blinks and it sounds like a really loud blinker and you can't really i mean you can adjust it but it doesn't seem to do much so yeah, every single time I get in, I've got a favorite button here stored. So I hit that favorite button and immediately go and turn just that off. I mean, everything else, the lane key, the, the lane drift or whatever they call it, yeah. that, that works okay. And it's not nearly as invasive and loud. Um, it's definitely... It's just a speed limit thing. It's just a speed limit that. thing that's annoying, yeah. yeah.
2: And what about
4: um, uh, like the rest of the tech? I mean... Apple CarPlay, mm-hmm. the, the infotainment, you've been yep, pretty it happy with that. All works great. Yeah, looking forward to using, um, you know, Onyx Offroad um, on the CarPlay. Uh, just because in the past I've always had an iPad mounted somewhere, and with this, you don't really need to anymore. Um, you know, because it's all. I used to, you know, have just a phone mount and then an iPad next to it, along with you know whatever stereo I had in my other cars. But to have that all just right here works really well and it links up right away there's no there's no lag it works really well that's really really cool yeah um
2: and then um I, I mean i guess some other things i want to talk about is the value of this vehicle
4: so talk me through kind of the options you got on this one and, and what your sticker price was sure um so this is the field master um not the trial master the trial master is um their hardcore 4x4 that has all the hardcore options from the from the start I wanted something that had leather. I wanted something a little more comfortable. Um, so I went with the with the Fieldmaster. Um, obviously still have the front and rear lockers, still have all the off-road bits. Um, the one thing I did not do was the dual battery. Um, I plan on doing that on my own. And I added the uh, safari windows, um, obviously the the saddle leather in here. I'm not sure if um It's cool. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's got really nice. saddle leather on the, the steering wheel and uh you know the handles here and on the e-brake and stuff like that um and then other than that it's you know did the the electrical panel the, you know, all the switches and all that stuff um my out the door price with the sixteen hundred dollar uh, destination fee, I believe, was right around eighty nine. Okay. So eighty um, seven ish, I think, was what my build was. Um, can't remember the exact number, but very close to that. And and how do you feel that lines up in terms of like value? Do you think it's good value? Do you think it's too expensive for what you're getting? It's it's expensive, I, not expensive. I think it's a little more. I mean, here's the deal. Like, I went on Jeep's website three four weeks ago, and I built a Rubicon exactly how I'd want it, mm-hmm. a four by e with you know. Know, all the options steel bumpers whatever and it was like seventy two thousand dollars or something like that and for ten fifteen thousand dollars more I would much rather have a purpose built built um, I won't say custom it's not a custom car but more of a um, something that's not bespoke. A bes- exactly yeah, yes right. and not something that you see every other car you know Jeeps and Forerunners and tacos they're you know they're they're all over in Colorado and sure. I wanted something that was a little bit different but still got me to the places that I wanted to go. And there's, I can't think of a better option at this point.
2: Now, in terms of what you're gonna
4: do with this vehicle,
2: Mm -hmm. I I mean, I noticed you have the front and the rear lockers Mm -hmm. and um, you got the KO2 tires and that kind of thing.
4: I mean, are you planning on wheeling this? Absolutely, absolutely, yep. So my main concern right now is um, when I sold my previous build, I sold my rooftop tent, I sold it all with it. So I need to find a rack and a tent so that this summer, once, I guess this spring, once we start warming up a little bit, don't really love camping too much in the winter (laughs) Um, so we can get out right away. Um, The only issue is this this vehicle is tall and you know I have standard eight foot garage doors and you put a rack and a tent and that's about it so I have to figure out how I'm gonna make it all work with a lift and tires and a rack um, because eventually I want to lift it I want to put some bigger tires on it too. And i think it's going to require some garage modification so it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy process for me but absolutely right off the bat i plan on four-wheeling with this thing it's not going to be a garage queen it's not going to be something that just looks pretty and and comes out when it's sunny like we plan on you know using using this thing yeah and i think that might be my hardest uh my hardest step to get over is yes this thing is nice it's really expensive and i cannot wait to get it off road <laughs> but there's also part of it's it that's like that's still a lot of you know it's expensive paint and you know i'm going to be getting scratches yeah, right. and stuff but, and i just i have to not care and i know that you know like with the jeep i just never cared fj never cared and i think it's because like yeah, I've been waiting for so long that like I just wanted this to be like babied at least for a little bit. I know, keep it, it nice. Keep it nice, yeah. exactly.
2: <laughs> so, last question for you. What's kind of the thing that's most surprised you, and what's the thing that you wish that Ineos would change?
3: Hmm.
4: Well, I think the thing that's most surprising is, like you said already, the build quality out of a first vehicle coming out of the very, a brand new company um you just look back on so many cars that have come out you know first time cars and when we back in the day we bought the Mazda 3 the very first Mazda 3 went you know in the early 2000s and oh my gosh so many issues and I told myself I've never buy a first car you know whatever <laughs> but it was kind of nice because we had you know they did obviously a lot of t- testing and tuning and whatever but then we also had almost a year of them being out in 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 know in Australia and parts of the UK and you know whatever so Mm -hmm. they've worked out a lot of that but just overall just the sense of just solid quality it just feels so built so well built in here the door slams are great the the leather the seats you know these are Recaro seats you know you've got bolstering on an off-road vehicle from the factory I mean it's just like they've thought of so many things and their engineers are you know thinking ahead and you know getting input from other off-roading you know companies and and products that didn't have certain things and they would add it so i just think it was a you know it's just been such a great experience there hasn't really been anything that i've not liked about Mm -hmm. the experience of it other than the (laughs) weight yeah um you know it's been a long time coming it's been fun it's been a it's been a wait, but goodness it's it seems at least so far it seems like it's worth it and what do you what's one thing you think any should should address going forward um it's a tricky one i might have to think on this for a second sure um yeah you know like sway bar disconnect yeah i think fuel that might, yeah so i think the fuel economy and you know maybe just I don't think the fuel economy necessarily is, is what's bad. It's the actual size of the tank. Um, okay. It's like, what is it, 23 gallons, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you know, roughly I'm getting between 15 and 16, 17-ish. That's kind of 15 to 17 is what I'm, I'm getting. Yeah. Um, You know, for most trails and stuff in Colorado, it's not going to be an issue. But when you start going on on longer, you know, more of the overlanding, you know, long bouts without gas, that could definitely become a problem um one of the things i am excited about though is the aftermarket support for potentially an auxiliary tank or something bigger or something that we could use i know there's there's space back there Um, but yeah i think maybe get you know uh, gas capacity maybe uh sway bar disconnects and then just i don't know i think it's they kind of like, nailed it. They, they kind of nailed it. Like, yeah. I hate to say that. I don't want to be like, oh, this is the best car ever, but it's true. Like, they really did an awesome job right off the bat. What about the BMW shifter? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's cool. I like you it. You like it? I'm okay. okay. It. There I'm okay you go. There you go. They could have done something <laughs> a little different in there, I think. You know, this, this shifter is kind of cool. This looks like a transfer case. Yeah, car. the transfer cool
3: case. Transfer, yeah. shifter, um, transfer case, but.
2: Well, Mark, thank you so much. Yeah, I absolutely. really appreciate this opportunity oh, to talk yeah. to you. It's been fun. Um, and um, yeah, I, uh, I have to say, I mean, initially, I, I think they did a really cool job. It mm-hmm. feels, it drives like a perfect combination between a new G-Wagon and a new Wrangler JL mm-hmm. with the of it means the BMW engine. There's yep. no way around it. Yeah, yeah. They, yep. it's really cool. Yep. All right, everybody, thank you so much for watching Car Chat here at the TFL Talk YouTube channel. And Nathan, if people wanna watch more of us, should they subscribe? They
3: should subscribe and remember that all of our our recent stories go up, including our clips on alltfl.com. Yep, for sure. Yep, be sure to check that out. We got a lot going on around the office.
2: We'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys